welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. What's going on over there? Uh, over here in North Hollywood? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know what the weather is like in North Hills, but it's been crummy all day here. It has been raining all day. And uh, I don't know. I used to find something sort of like romantic about being indoors when it's raining. But um, when my only chance to go outside is to take a, a walk. Sure. I I can't, A, I can't take a long walk, and B, having a dog, I still have to go outside a few times a day. Yeah. It's, so it's like, it's miserable. I hate when it rains all day now, um, especially in Darla also, because she had, she's still recovering from the surgery on her paw, so she, her, her paw's all bandaged up, which means every time I take her outside, I have to wrap her leg up in plastic because she can't get her bandage wet, so... Oh, just, uh, Darla's my dog, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I got it. I got it. <laughs> uh, I know, you know, I don't know the listeners, uh, probably put that together, but, um, yeah. So, uh, I'm in a bad mood today. It's been crummy, but, uh, I'm enjoying talking movies with Tyler. Um, and I'll, That's the new uh, title of this, by the way, talking yeah. movies with Tyler. <laughs> and, um, uh, Speaking of movies, uh, we're going to be writing a whole book about the best movies of the 2010s, right? That's correct. Yes. Um, and uh, the deadline for submissions is coming up. By the time you're hearing this, you only have a few days left. Um, April 15th is the deadline. And I guess like at, like uh, like the federal government itself, I could push it back if I wanted to. But uh, the submissions are starting to tail off a little bit. Uh, we've gotten about... There have been about 400 titles total submitted. Um, sometimes there, there, are, there are some where it got a single point. One person submitted it at, at number 15. Um, so it's like, okay, that's so they don't really, those don't really count. But it's fun to see the different types of movies. But uh, you that never were know. You know, your there number could be, 15 could be someone else, someone else's number 15. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, and, and before you know it, the movie Downsizing is in the top 20 or something like oh that. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. you can write about that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and no, actually, I would take that. I don't think Don says is going to make the list, but you know what? I would take the write up on that. Okay. So the it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But uh, yeah, so here's how this works. Uh, for those that maybe uh, do not remember what we're talking about, uh, we are taking submissions from you, the listener, in which uh, you will email me, Tyler Battleship Pretension.com, the 15 best movies of the 2010s or your top 15 favorite, whatever, whatever it is, uh, please rank them with number one, obviously being the highest number 15 being the lowest. Uh, and they can be foreign. They can be domestic, whatever you want it to be. Uh, whatever movies you think are the best or, or belong on the list, uh, just submit them to me by or on, uh, April 15th. And we are going to compile all of these and then eventually turn them into a book. And, uh, we will not be revealing the results until it's uh, time to release the book. So, Ooh, so exciting. I know it's, uh, and I've been, I've been keeping track as we go. And I will say that, uh, there were like four movies in contention for number one, and then it became three. And then even the third one, tailed off and now it is uh it's between two movies i won't say what they are but it's really it's real close and i'm fascinated to see which uh which one winds up on top so uh anyway 
But yeah, and make sure that if you email, uh, if you're going to email your submissions and email them to me, Tyler at battleshipretention.com. Don't email them to David. Don't email them to Scott or anything like that. Just email them to me. Uh, I'm the one keeping track of everything. And uh, yeah, it's the, the more submissions we have, the, the, the more reliable the list is, I like to think. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, don't think, hey, I'm just one person. What is my vote count? It could count quite a bit uh, if you if you're selecting certain yeah. movies. So uh, you know, there like somebody submitted somebody submitted uh, a list uh, just today, and because of their what what they put at number three, um, that me their inclusion of that that high up means that the movie is going to be included in the, in the list. And previously, oh, previously it wasn't. So just to give you an idea that like, you know, when from your a vote matters, your vote matters, I think. Yeah. All right, David, what do you, what's, what's your beef today? I have a very, very uh, petty beef, but okay. like a lot of people, uh, under under quarantine or self-isolation here. I've been making a lot of use of the various uh, subscription streaming services mm -hmm. that I subscribe to. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that, I don't know, I, I don't know enough about what makes these services profitable outside of just people subscribing to them to understand why this is. But almost all of them, pretty much all of them, their interface is very frustrating to me mm -hmm. because it very much prioritizes browsing over. I know what I want to see and I need to search for it. Sure. It's so frustrating. Um, I found for some reason, I, I would say on the one hand, I've had the, I've had the best success with HBO now, but that might be because the things that I'm going to HBO now for are the things that are at the top anyway, like yes. against America and Kirby enthusiasm, but everything else is, so it's like it's so labor intensive just to try and find the thing you're looking for and i will say as much as i love them and i'm a charter subscriber from the day that they existed the criterion channel is so frustrating to me it is astonishing how counterintuitive that site is yeah well first off the even the search function you have to it's like an early 2000s blu-ray easter egg or dvd <laughs> easter egg yeah like you have to like find it's not you don't see the search function you have to look for how to search and then I'll give you an example. Say you're looking for the Ingmar Bergman film through a glass darkly. Now that's not through a glass darkly is a very specific title. Yes. You know, but even when I letter by letter type in the entire title first, like when I'm at through the, through a glass dar or whatever, yeah. it's still not coming up. And yeah. when I get through the entire title, Through a Glass Darkly, the movie Through a Glass Darkly is the third thing that comes up. Yeah. Why is uh, that? As, Why isn't that the first yeah. thing after through a? Yeah. Right? It's it's almost as though the search function is being like, all right, let's see where he's going with this. Let's just give him some time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then, yeah. And, and then, like, the fact that stuff pops up and it's the third option, it's you, in my experience, it's usually because, like, the, the like a special feature or a featurette is also or an interview is also popping up. Okay, that's fine. Let that be third. Let the movie yeah. itself be the first thing. But then again, maybe maybe I don't know. Maybe people who subscribe to the Criterion Channel are really using it for the special features. I I don't know. It doesn't seem. It's not how I I kind of like 
I kind of gave up on special features like about a decade ago, maybe longer now, actually. I enjoy um, retrospectives and that's usually, you know, I don't really listen to commentary. I enjoy a good retrospect, like a good one hour retrospective of the film. Um, my, my favorite special feature on a Blu-ray is when it's just, here's another movie, like a short film sure. or something else that the director made. I love that. I love getting more movies, but uh, yeah. I don't care anymore about most, most special features. Yeah. yeah today I was, uh, I was deciding that tonight I might watch some episodes of Batman, the animated series, which I got for the entire series. Uh, I mean, we're not recording video right now. <laughs> I know, but I'm holding it up for you. Okay. <laughs> you know, like the people listening to this can go screw themselves. As far as I'm concerned, it's just you and me, buddy. <laughs> it's just a conversation we're having yeah. um, in which I'm about to plug in an, uh, an earbud company. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just because you want, you think I would benefit from that yeah. information. Um, but yeah. And so obviously there's, there's the episodes. And as I was looking at this, cause I just got this Blu-ray set for Christmas. Uh, and I was, as I was looking, uh, they also Four have Batman. Ago. What was that? This is how time flies as you're older. You just got that thing for Christmas four months ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, uh, I just got it. Um, yeah. But, compared to like the industrial revolution, it just exactly. happened. Yeah. Uh, and increasingly uh, my own life because uh, <laughs> four months in 38 years is really not that, uh, not that significant. But anyway, uh, but they have, I see that uh, they have, two bonus discs of one containing Batman mask of the phantasm, which is the movie. Ooh, and then yeah. the other is Batman and Mr. Freeze sub zero, which was another animated film that they, that they made. And I was just like, Ooh, I like this. And, uh, similarly, like yeah. I, uh, obviously it was universal that put out the Todd Browning Dracula and special feature, the Spanish Dracula, which I've heard very is cool. technically better. So I, yes, I very much like that. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to tell you, Tyler, about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds and a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. And as you know, you and I use them each every day. I'm literally, if you were, if this were a video uh, podcast, you would see that I'm using them right now. Um, I'm not using mine because Jen is using them. She likes uh, them so much. So I have to use these shitty nothing uh, Apple uh, yeah. earbuds. Boo. Um, I'm going to get an infection. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's how, that's how great they are. We, we love them using the every day. Uh, today I was listening to the feature or sorry, the feature. I'm such a, so movie minded, the, uh, studio album debut by the artist, Jesse Reyes, who's a Canadian, uh, I guess you'd call her a pop singer songwriter whose name I mostly knew from um, appearing on a, a track with Eminem mm. uh, called good guy uh, that had a very memorable uh, music video a couple of years back. And uh, yeah, so she's been around for a few years, but her, her, her debut album, um, which is called before love came to kill us uh, is, is, is finally out. And I very much enjoyed it as she reteams with, Marshall Mathers, uh, he shows up on on one uh, on one track, and uh, very much enjoyed the album. Sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low low price at tweakedaudio.com, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. 
Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? we? You and I are stuck at home, like everybody else. And so we decided to talk about movies about people who are in somewhat similar situations. So it was yeah. a little, we were both a little bit, I think liberal with how we defined this, yeah. but these are sort of movies about people who are confined to uh, a single space or a single room often. Now I did want to specify because I tried to, yeah, I tried to be pretty loose and, and just incorporate everything that takes place in one location. doesn't have to be all one room, but one location yeah. yep. um, for at least a big portion of it. And then as I went through, like I kept all of the movies that I wrote down, but then I also realized like, okay, well, everything taking place in one in one location is different than the characters having to be in that place. You know what I mean? As opposed to people choosing to be in that place, you know, like granted we are all, I guess, hypothetically uh, self quarantining, but at the same time, uh, an an external circumstance has forced us into this position as opposed to a a movie. And there aren't many of them, but as opposed to a movie where a character has just elected to do this thing and the film happens to take place in the one area they've decided to be. Um, Okay. So I'm curious to know, because we're, because in terms of confinement, there is this idea that when you're confined, it means you, you have to be somewhere. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely did. Um, uh, stick to stick to that for the for the most part. Um, okay. There are some there are some exceptions. There are movies. There's a lot of movies that are based on plays that all take place in one room. Yep. And a lot and a lot of those, you know, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is not a movie where, where they have to be exactly. in this one room. Um, yeah. Although American weirdly, Buffalo is another one. That's on my list. I also put. Um, uh, Roman Polanski's adaptation of Carnage on here, which is a movie that is not like they are like they're all voluntarily in this room, but it does have the feeling that no one can leave. Yes, it's it has a no exit quality to it, where <laughs> yeah. like it's not a disease, it's not zombies, it's not a storm. It is social obligation <laughs> that is forcing yeah. them to be where they are, and that. Um, you know, I, uh, a lot of times when you do these like type of movies, things in recent months, I've been organizing by organizing them chronologically. And this one, as I was making my list, I found myself organizing it by genre because I was, it struck me that the nature of the drama that in the conflict that comes out of people, uh, being stuck in one room mm-hmm. lends itself to a lot of different genres, but very specifically not a couple of other genres. Okay. There aren't very many action movies that take place all in one room. Yeah. Um, I've heard. I, I didn't see, I didn't Free see Fire. that one. Yeah. Uh, okay. Free fire. I put under crime, but yeah, um, okay. it's, 
it has a lot of shooting in it. I don't really think of it as an action movie, Um, but it's more of a dark crime comedy um, than anything else, but it is very bloody. Um, And I didn't see, what was that one with um, uh, Selma Hayek uh, a few years back where she stuck in the apartment? Oh boy. Um, I don't know. Oh, that's going to bug me. Um, This seems easy enough to look up. Yeah. I want to say she's like, a gangster's like girlfriend who like her boyfriend is like sent people to kill her and she has to like survive in her apartment. Okay. Let's see here. It's one word. It's a one, one word, word to Everly. Everly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, a mob boss. Yeah. So, okay. um, I didn't see that. So there aren't a lot of, uh, not a lot of action movies that take place in all in one room. There also are very few movies you would consider romances that take place all in one room. It seems to this, this being, being stuck together, you'd think would be like, uh, you'd think romance would blossom. And there are movies that kind of get at that. There was that very bad movie two night stand a few years ago with miles Teller and, uh, Imogen Poots maybe, um, in which a one night stand turns into a weekend long confinement because of a snowstorm. Um, but even that most of the movie is them fighting, but I guess that's true of a lot of romantic comedies. Um, but, uh, um, and I had another example I was going to think of, but now I've, I've forgotten. Well, I'll say this, uh, our friend, uh, Travis Betts, uh, 12 years ago at this point made a film called Sunday in which uh, this young couple who live together decide that not only are they going to spend an entire day in their apartment, that's, you know, that's not that big of a deal, but they've decided they're going to spend it all in bed, uh, which means they have to find creative ways to go to the bathroom uh, and eat and all of that. And, uh, but that's, that's what, and so that's what Sunday is all about. And it's actually, uh, it's, it's quite, uh, cute. Interestingly, that sounds like, I'm glad you said it's cute. Cause it sounds like the premise for a, that would fit into a genre that is very well represented in the single uh, room, uh, um, category. And that's horror. Oh yes. There are a lot of horror movies <laughs> that take place, uh, in one room. So I don't know where you wanted to, to start. I, I almost, um, wanted to see if I could find any, any romances. Um, uh, the one that I think this is a stretch because only one of the two people is stuck in one place and the place itself is much bigger than a single room, but the terminal, the terminal is a movie. That's a romance about someone who's confined to a single space. Sure. Um, Albeit a very large space, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, but he can't uh, yeah, leave. True. So he I feel leave. I felt like that that fit the category, and it actually I know um, I know the movie has a pretty poor reputation. I remember kind of liking it, and I remember thinking the romance part of it was the part that I liked the most. I think. Yeah, I I I don't love it, but uh, when I think about about it, I do really enjoy Tom Hanks' performance. Uh, the art direction is amazing, of course. Um, but uh, and I remember the romance being actually quite sweet um, and yeah. so and fairly organic at the same time. Um, yeah, it really was just like in the elements of conflict as represented by Stanley Tucci, where the film felt really contrived and artificial um but the rest of it uh really really worked for me um but that's also so that's that's the main romance i could think of it's also it's 
so many of the movies that I could think of that were single location movies that were comedies tended to be acerbic, dark comedies. You know, I mentioned Free Fire being a dark comedy. That's all in one room. I mentioned Carnage. I think of that. I don't know. I don't know if you think of Carnage as a comedy or a drama. I think of it more I, as a comedy. I laughed um, pretty hard at it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not a happy comedy. And then you've got um, movies like Clue and Murder by Death, which are yeah. sort of like, uh, um, what are they called? There's a name for those locked, not locked room, like uh, Chamber Piece. I guess, yeah. Um, but they're murder mysteries, and so they're by nature yeah. they're they're dark comedies because people are getting killed off in them. Yeah, it's it really is not that different than any kind of haunted house movie or suspense movie it just has a humorous uh element to it yes mm -hmm. um and yeah there aren't many others uh many other like horror comedy kind of things uh definitely clue uh murder by death which are essentially the same kind of thing um clue's better though right <sighs> You know, it's tough. I, I think they're trying to do different things as a, as a fan of whodunits and like the idea of, of the detective who comes in and solves everything. I really respond to what murder by the, by death is doing um, by having all these different types of characters uh, like a Sam Spade, but also like a Miss Marple um, and a Charlie Chan, like having them all come together and they have to solve this crime, but their egos get in the way. And it's, Again, I, I really respond to what it is doing and there are mm -hmm. moments of humor, but I think Clue is probably, I think because of, because Clue is allowed to be a little broader, I think it works a little better. And I think that broader uh, element of it is in the performances and also in the filmmaking. I think Murder by Death has the jokes, but it's actually pretty dry, I think, in terms of sure. cinema. Um, yeah. where, whereas, whereas Clue, uh, I think makes great use of the, of the house and of the physicality of the performances. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, uh, for, for a movie that's located in one space has a lot of, uh, um, a lot of, uh, dynamic movement, uh, yeah. in it. Uh, that's a movie. I, you know, there are movies, this happens to every generation, but Tyler, you and I are of the age where there are movies from our childhood that some people our age just can't seem to admit don't yeah. hold up. Yeah. We don't need to go into too many specifics here, but like, hook? I think, okay. Do people really like hook? Oh my. Yes. Uh, okay. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Maybe I, maybe I would like it. I don't know. Maybe I'll be one of those, uh, one of those people, but I was thinking more about like Goonies, um, yeah. which as you know, I just rewatched and, yeah. and, and it wasn't, it's weird. I, I loved it when I was a kid and then I was like, no, that actually kind of sucked. And watching it this time is like, okay, it's not great, but yeah. it doesn't suck either. It's kind of in between, but it certainly is not this masterpiece that so many people our age tend <laughs> to think it is. Well, and I know for me, Willow was a big one that I loved as a kid that I think doesn't hold up at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, you watch and it I, and realize like, this is just a, this is just a fantasy star Wars. Like no wonder I liked it when I was a kid. Cause I liked star Wars. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, I'm a bit of, you know, I'm a back to the future skeptic to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, but clue is one where it's, I honestly think that people, it was horribly received at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think people were just wrong. I think it actually deserves the sort of revision that our generation has given it as it's, as we've come of age, as we become adults, because I actually do think it's a very well-made, very fun and funny movie uh, and it has just this knockout cast and they're all giving, uh, fantastic performances.
I yeah, really think I, Clue is good. I, no, I do as well. And what's interesting is that as the stuff that I responded to when I was young is very different than the stuff I respond to now. Um, when I was young, of course, I responded to the, the bigness of it, like the, the real mm-hmm. farce of it, which is still enjoyable. But now it's the smaller line readings that I, that I adore. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. Madeline Kahn is a genius, but uh, also uh, <laughs> uh, Eileen. Oh, my gosh. Why is she? Eileen Brennan. Eileen Brennan um, as Mrs. Peacock is just I just love it. Like there's <laughs> is she the one who is, says I thought men like you were usually called fruits? That is Miss. That's Miss Scarlet. That's Leslie Ann Warren. Um, oh, that's Leslie Ann Warren. Yeah, yeah that's a funny no, line. when when uh, the the doorbell rings and Miss Peacock answers it. Well, first off, it rings and she goes, "Oh, whoever it is, they gotta go away or they'll be killed." <laughs> <laughs> so that's funny already. But then also when she when she opens the door and there's Howard Hessman who just launches into a good evening. Have you ever given any thought to the kingdom of heaven? And she goes, "Why?" Like just her, her <laughs> incredulous response is delightful. I, you're, yes, that's the stuff that I really respond to now. Uh, all right. Well, we can. I don't know if you have any more comedies or anything, but we like. I, I mean, feel like this is a good segue into crime, right? Like, I don't have any more crime or horror-based comedies. I, like a movie like Clerks. Uh, these characters, it takes place there. They do venture off, but yeah, like they go to a funeral home, it's, right? But like, this I, is, I considered it. I didn't put it on the list. Yeah, like they are mostly here, and it's because they need to be. You know, in fact, like the main character, he gets called into work on his day off. And so like that, there's a real obligatory aspect to that, you know? And so like when they do get away, it really is treated like a getaway, you know? So, um, so I, I'm a lot of these might, might have moments either at the beginning at the end, uh, where the characters are, are elsewhere, but the bulk of it, like 95% of, of the films take place in this one uh, area. Yeah. Um, and well, that gives, so it seems like the, the main approach that all of for most of these take, we'll get to, I think we'll get to horror a little later because there's mm-hmm. a different thing there, but it's that the fact that people can't get away from each other means that tensions yeah. rise faster than they normally would. Mm-hmm. And so, um, crime movies when tensions are rising faster and everyone has a gun, yeah. uh, everyone has a gun uh, and an agenda. Uh, yeah, so you've got movies like, so a lot of this takes place out of the one room, but the present tense of Reservoir Dogs takes place essentially all in that warehouse. Sure. Um, which I only thought of because of The Hateful Eight, which is a more of a Western than a crime movie, but yeah. uh, The Hateful Eight is one of the first movies that I thought of when I thought of this subject uh, or this topic, and then I almost immediately went like, oh, I guess Reservoir Dogs 2 is is kind of a similar yeah. Uh, structure you mentioned free fire uh another one this is for for different reasons these people can't leave but dog day afternoon yeah um is uh is a fantastic uh movie about tensions rising on a hot day uh when people cannot leave yeah which will get to another one of those in a moment um you know and then there are movies as tends to happen like the idea of a suspense thriller versus a horror like the lines get blurred sometimes so you know like wait until dark which is based on a play uh but there are horror it's definitely suspense but there are horror elements in it um same with something like 10 cloverfield lane which uh you know they're towards the end she notably 
uh, is not in that uh, bomb shelter, but for a very yeah. good portion of it, that's that's where it takes place, and that is a suspense bordering See, it's on funny. horror. I put I put wait until dark under my suspense thriller okay. category, but I put Ten Cloverfield Lane under horror. I understand they both have elements of both, but I think of yeah. Ten Cloverfield Lane as more horror, maybe just because there's actual monsters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe if it weren't for, maybe if it were, I think yeah, because when the threat is simply another person, mm-hmm. um, and in the case of Wait Until Dark, it's these guys need like it's it's money based. They're willing to murder to to get money uh or whatever but it's that it's all very it's all a very human and understandable i mean not that we would do it but it's an understandable motive as opposed to something like 10 cloverfield lane where the external threat is a monster or who knows for a while it could be some kind of plague but either way it's this thing that is just decimating indiscriminately and then you discover there's a human monster inside the bomb shelter but he's crazy you know, so you can't really reason with that. You can't appeal to self-interest uh, when dealing with a lot of horror-related things, as opposed to wait until dark. So I can definitely see uh, see the your sort of categorization of of them in that way. Um, you know that uh, that your description of of Ten Cloverfield Lane reminded me of one that I didn't put on the list, which is the movie It Comes at Night from a few years ago, which um, I still have not seen. Actually, I know some people love it, some people do not. Yeah, and that's a movie that like there is an external threat. There's a reason they're holed up together, mm-hmm. um, and then another family comes in, and I won't I, I won't spoil where it goes, but I think the difference. I and I this is not a, I love 10 Cloverfield Lane. The difference between it comes in and 10 Cloverfield Lane is that we get, we understand pretty early on a confirmation that John Goodman's character is, is nuts and is a threat. It comes at night lives in the suspicion and the paranoia. Like we don't really know. Like for all we know, these families could like have so much in common and end up being besties, but because of what's going on outside, there's no trust inside. Um, yeah. And, and along those lines, I mean, that's something that you'll find in horror suspense, even in some of the dramas that we're talking about, this idea that like we are stuck in this place and either the people that we're with or the circumstance itself cannot be in, implicitly trusted. Um, and yeah. And so something like um, obviously a movie like rope um, is it's a situation where we actually, the, the, the viewers, we do know the situation. Um, uh, we yeah. have uh, more information than most of the characters. Uh, and so the, the lack of, the lack of trust, I guess, comes with um, a lack of trust in the, in the, uh, the situation and of the, the two murderers and rope is, I, I adore rope on so many levels. One of them being that like, it forces me to sympathize or at least empathize with uh, two sociopaths um, <laughs> and specifically empathize because we have as much information as they do and everybody else is out of the loop, but not us. We're right there with them. And so anytime somebody almost discovers the body, I instinctively am like, Oh my gosh. And it's like, wait, no, I think I probably want this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And that's part of the uh, perverse fun of rope is uh, the people it gets you uh, in sympathy with. 
Um, well, I, I wasn't going to go here next, but you mentioned Alfred Hitchcock. So one of the other obvious ones for this subject is rear window. Yeah. Uh, also a movie about someone who can't leave. Yeah. Um, and, um, rear window is, is very good. And also, uh, it, there, it has an underrated unofficial remake called Disturbia. That's yes, it does. Um, which I also remember really enjoying. I really enjoy uh, Disturbia. I mean, yeah, it's it's clearly inspired by Rear Window, but not but not very inspired. <laughs> but it's but it's still it's still a lot. It of goes fun. different. It does go different places. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but they're both movies uh, for different reasons. J- Jimmy Stewart's character has broken his leg and mm-hmm. can't get around, whereas Shia LaBeouf's character in Disturbia is on a house arrest. And I, yeah. I don't remember why. He's some kind of delinquent. You can't trust that. I mean, yeah, I, I guess maybe uh, Shia LaBeouf knew how to play that part as a young man. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. He did a lot of method uh, stuff. Um, now, I do have a couple. Okay, so the movie Sleuth, uh, which is a limited, uh, certainly limited cast, only two characters, um, and they are stuck in this in this mansion, but hypothetically one could leave at any point. Um, and Wait, can uh, I, real okay. quick, cause you, we've mentioned who's afraid of Virginia Wolf and mm-hmm. sleuth. There is one other movie I know in which the is. entire cast was nominated for an Oscar and you know what it is. And, and you know that I hate it. Uh, not the movie. I've never, but I've I, never seen it. You know, oh, that you I hate, hate that it f- because it's, it's a concert film. It's a film performance. Yeah. It's not cinema to you. Yeah, it's, well, it's, you know what? I'm fine with, consi- okay, so the film is Give Him Hell, Harry, in which James Whitmore plays Harry Truman. It's, it's I was going to say it's based on a play, but that's not exactly right. It's simply a filmed play. He's not giving a film performance. He's giving a stage performance, but because it was filmed and then they, that was put into theaters, he was nominated for best, for best actor for an Oscar. And here's the deal. James Whitmore is a great actor. If they wanted to, if they wanted to adapt that into an actual film, I have no doubt that he'd be able to calibrate his performance to accommodate that. So it's not a, it's not a dig on him. And then he probably would be nominated and everything's fine. But like, you know, I look at something like that versus Secret Honor, which I guess also takes place in one in one uh, location with one character. Uh, also and based that, on a play, but also not nominated for any Oscars. Yeah, even though I think it absolutely should have been. I think Philip Baker Hall is really amazing. But um, but yeah, so my my issue is not his performance. It is, and it's not, and my issue is not with the choice to film that play. That's something that they did in the 60s from time to time. And this was the 70s, but uh it is, it's the Academy being like, Oh, well let's nominate that. It's like, no, that's not a, you know, like it's for all intents and purposes, this might as well be a documentary of a play. You wouldn't nominate some, uh, a performance within a documentary, you know, it's, I don't know. It just really like during in gimme shelter, you wouldn't nominate the Rolling Stones for best song. You know, they, this is something that existed before they, before this uh, film documentation of it. Okay. Hey, you won't hear me complaining. Thumbs down. Um, I interrupted you. Do you have more to say about Sleuth? Though? <laughs> no, just that uh, that one, I mean, it could be seen as, as a drama, but there is definitely a, a, a an inve- obviously an investigation perform uh, aspect of it and a, um, 
and a suspense element to it. But then I was going to ask you, cause this, the film I'm about to mention, wait real quick. Okay. There's, this is a teaser for a topic we're going to do at some point in the near future, mm-hmm. which is forgotten remakes. I completely forgot they remade Sleuth. I know. 2007. And, I was, and looking, I, I was just looking it up and I completely forgot that there was a remake. Yeah, I didn't see it. Uh, it, it got okay reviews, nothing great. The two lead, the two performers uh, uh, got good reviews, of course. But from what I hear, like they just threw out almost everything associated with the original play um, oh, okay. and just came but up know, with the concept. So Michael Caine, who played the younger role in the original, plays the older role here. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the whole premise of... Um, did you ever see um, Clouds of Sils Maria? No. Uh, where um, uh, Julie Binoche's character is, um, has been, they're making a movie of, uh, oh, right. they're remaking a movie she was in and she's now playing the older role or maybe it's, or maybe they're doing it on stage. I can't remember now. It's been years since I saw it, but um, uh, yeah, I wonder if Julia Binoche watched both versions of Sleuth in, <laughs> in preparing for her role in Clouds of Sils have- Maria. I have to assume uh, she did, or then she, you know, she watched well, the original Cape Fear and then watched the Scorsese remake and just saw what uh, Mitchum was doing. I, I think, yeah, I have to assume. Well, you, you know that uh, Julie Binoche has said that she took the role in Godzilla as preparation for her role in Clouds of Stills Maria, because the actress she's playing in Clouds of Stills Maria is very much a Julia Binoche type, except yeah. she's starred in like an X-Men movie or something. <laughs> and so has all the, and so Julia Binoche is like, well, I've never been in a movie like that. So she has said, she basically like decided to be in Godzilla in preparation for the role. For well, it definitely movie. makes sense. She's not in it very much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so she's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I want to be in this just enough to get a flavor, but I'm not going <laughs> to commit much to this. Um, so I was going to ask, uh, well, so there, oh, okay. there is a film that I wanted to mention that could be considered suspense, but it could also be considered horror, which is. Well, uh, uh, sorry. Can Ooh. we put a pin on that? Sure. T- speaking of suspense. Okay. Put a pin in that. Cause there were a couple of other plays that I forgot to mention. Oh, sure. Um, uh, uh, Richard Linklater's underrated tape from 2001, I think. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I certainly consider that uh, uh, drama. Uh, but there's suspense. There's always going to be suspense, even in. No, but I was just saying. Sus- I was just yeah. saying plays. I was saying. Speaking okay. of suspense, you waiting to get to your oh, movie okay. got it. is got keeping it. the audience in suspense. No, um, yeah, tape is a, a movie that I think people should. I, I've been saying this for a couple of years now, post like me too. I think tape is a movie that uh, people should revisit and maybe, I don't know, maybe it won't hold up, but I think it's at least worth looking at again. Um, I think so too. Um, given that it is a movie about a person ostensibly coming clean about a sexual assault, but also I think still trying to hold on to the yeah. power in the situation. Yeah. And, um, and because like, and I mean, coming clean about committing a sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I should have clarified that. And because his, he sees his tension, his intentions as pure and because it doesn't fall into like the textbook, certainly at the time, the textbook definition, he's been able to kind of maybe even lie to himself for a while. Um, and the, and the, the choice of casting for who plays that character, I think is, good because mm-hmm. 
it's an actor who tends to play just decent characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a, as tends to be the case with a lot of these, it's tough to watch at times, yeah. but, yeah. Uh, but it's very good. Yes. The whole cast is great. And then another movie, uh, I don't know if you saw this, you dig it the most Tyler. It's a made, it was made for TV movie from 2011. Tommy Lee Jones directed the sunset limited based on the Cormac McCarthy. Uh, uh, I have, play. I've not seen it. I've heard great. I've heard great things about it. I've heard that I would really enjoy it. Yeah. You would, um, you would dig it. Um, yeah. it's, but, uh, this is one where people are, it's all in one room because it's a play. No one's really there by, by choice. The, the premise is that, um, just before the action started, Samuel L. Jackson's character has stopped Tommy Lee Jones character from committing suicide by jumping in front of a subway. Mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones character is the more sort of like educated man. Samuel L. Jones, uh, Samuel L. Jackson is the working man and he takes him back to Samuel L. Jackson's apartment and they just spend uh, 91 minutes according to IMDb. I don't know, debating the merits of life. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, uh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's uh, really good. So, sorry, let's get to your suspense movie, and then we'll get to some other suspense movies, too. Well, and that's, yeah, I don't know if it's, oh, and then, incidentally, an, a movie that fits into what we're talking about and is based on a play, but the movie is not very good, is Oleana. Um, which, yeah, I would love to, uh, I'd love to see a stage version of that that's good, because I yes. don't like the movie. Yeah. Um, I can see it being good. I think yeah, we've talked about this before on the show. I know we've talked about it somewhat recently but i don't know if it was on the show but yeah it's definitely a film that um that it it, more than anything it intrigues me to see a better version of it um but that's an interesting one because i think it's i i'm pretty sure it's three acts and they all take place in the same place but it's not all confined to the i mean like these characters can leave whenever they want and they do in between acts, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then yeah. they just like the, the play and the film just happens to decide we're going to follow these characters only when they interact with each other in this place anyway. Um, but yeah. Uh, funny games. Yes. That's on my, on my list. I put it under suspense thriller, but it's also a horror movie. Yeah. Um, and that's one that, uh, uh, mentally like when i think of it i have the same like internal reaction the same tensing that i have uh when i think of a horror movie as opposed to just like a suspense film um and i think it might have to do with sort of how i was talking about 10 cloverfield lane versus wait until dark which is certainly the 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 threat here is human but it also has a lot to do with insanity and the idea that there, you can't talk your way out of this. You can't offer money. You can't buy your way out of it. These are characters that have just decided they're going to do this. So they might as well, in fact, they probably are just crazy uh, or sociopaths or whatever you want to say. Um, and because of that, because of just the, the inevitable fatalism of the film, I tend to think associate that tone more with horror than I do with suspense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, there are, there are certainly elements of suspense oh, in, sure. in, 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 funny games. Um, but it's, uh, and I was going to say, it's weird how often there are movies like funny games where someone is being kept inside physically by another person Mm -hmm. um 
but usually there's also an element I'm thinking of, uh, there's a, um, so in funny games, the thing I was going to say is that there's nothing physically keeping them from walking out the door except from the person. But I forgot that the, the husband, the father does get his knee broken or something. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. It's been a while, but he gets yeah, with a golf club, uh, a golf club. Yeah. So I was thinking, but it reminded me of misery, which is a, sure. uh, uh, another horror thriller, but that person, uh, James Conn's character can't leave under his own power. And also the first and the only saw movie that I saw, saw, mm-hmm. Um, also features people who can't, who, who, who can't leave. But again, that's because they're either in a, is it like one of them's handcuffed and one of them's in like a bear trap? I think, uh, I haven't seen any saw movies. Oh, I saw the first one opening that like Thursday night at midnight when it opened back when that used to mean something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what you mean? But also that was, uh, uh, I think I've told this story on the podcast before my, the last apartment I lived in, in Chicago, um, uh, which I'm not forgetting the name of the street that was on Pratt um, was around the corner from the village North cinema, mm-hmm. which would always show every Thursday night, whatever. It wasn't just like the big, like event movies. It was literally whatever was coming out on Friday. Yeah. They showed Thursday at midnight. And since I worked until like 11 PM at the video store, I would often just get off work and my girlfriend and I would go see. So I saw a bunch of midnight movies there. And one of them was, was saw but it wasn't because i was yeah it wasn't because i was like counting the days until the release of saw i was literally like standing outside the movie theater and being like which one do you want to see because i think if i remember correctly which sounds crazy now did saw and the grudge open the same day well i certainly don't know uh, about that sort of thing i i i if pressed i probably wouldn't even be able to tell you what year either of them came out well it was 2004 four okay Let's see. The release date of Saw is October 29th, 2004. The release date of The Grudge, not the 2020 remake. Come on. Speaking of remakes that no one remembers, like yeah. that's new enough that uh, it's odd how quickly it was forgotten. Oh, okay. No, The Grudge was October 22nd, so the, oh. uh, I, I, they were uh, a week apart. Okay. Anyway, not, not the point. <laughs> so um as long as we're on to to horror we've mentioned a lot of the horror ones that are on my list um but one uh well hey, let's uh, we somehow haven't talked about night of the living dead yet right yeah i was saving it for the the horror the overt horror okay. section well, and, let's uh, get into horror then yeah i mean when it comes right down to it night of the living dead dawn of the dead day of the dead like zombie movies more so than at this point tv shows uh tend to be about holding up somewhere and making sure it's as secure as it can be and then of course eventually it isn't um yeah and, although you uh, see i guess if you think about Shaun of the dead and i know technically not a zombie movie but a zombie inspired movie 28 days later yeah it has a mix of like yeah survival out in the world type of like trying to get by and then uh, the second half of both movies tend is uh, a little bit more confined yeah and i think because i think they understand there's inherent drama and tension in all of these uh characters trying you know because it tends to be if they're not holed up they're looking for a place to hold up and then they yeah. finally find one only to discover that it's not as safe on the inside or the outside, uh, as they hoped it would be. Um, but yeah, and I, 
Night of the Living Dead is the one I tend to think of more so than than Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead. Um, and it's I think confined. it's a house instead of a right. instead of a mall or a underground military complex. And and with Day of the Dead, like they take these excursions, you know, they'll take a, a helicopter to a, a, a city to see if they can find anybody. Whereas Night of the Living Dead, it's like she's in a graveyard near a house. So, and then once she gets to that house, like that's where she's going to be. And uh, yeah, boy, I love Night of the Living Dead. And I feel like it's just, and the fact, I think, the fact that they are in a foreign house, you know, it's not her house as opposed to Dawn of the dead where they go to a mall and yeah, they, they don't live there, but nobody lives at malls. You at least understand how a mall works. Uh And I guess you understand how houses work, but if I were to suddenly have to stay at your house when you're not here, it's like, okay, I got to find where everything is. Um, (laughs) And, and then like at the beginning of day of the dead, like they're already, they're already living in that bunker. So there is something to be said for night of living dead that like they have to get the lay of the, you know, the lay of the land as far as the house goes and where everything is uh, while at the same time having to, to board it up and all of that. And uh, yeah, that's, this is definitely uh, this one and John Carpenter's the thing were at the top of my list as far as horror. And then, closely thereafter uh, the shining um and oh and i didn't somehow i didn't even think of the shining of course the shining and in this case i mean so with the thing and the shining and then the hateful eight which is the the western version of the thing um the idea of weather uh keeping you inside mm-hmm. you know and obviously a deep murder uh is all about the the st- the, the terrible true. typhoon or whatever that's going on yeah. outside um yeah. but uh, which is an element of of clue as well to go yeah, back to that that's there's true. a uh, thunderstorm outside um but yeah and it's it's this idea that like yeah technically uh Wendy Torrance could leave, but not really. We've seen what happens when Jack Torrance gets uh, caught up in that blizzard and it's not great. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so between that and the thing, this idea of being in these locations that are isolated anyway, but in a different, if it were a different uh, circumstance, certainly with the shining, it's, Hey, if it were the summer, if it were uh, the summertime or the spring, this would be a really wonderful idyllic location. But now it's uh, in a, it's, it's a horrible place to be. Uh, Whereas the thing, like I'm, one thing I've always loved is uh, this, this terrible thing happens at the beginning of the thing. And then, uh, Kurt Russell is like, he's like, ah, first goddamn week of winter. And part of me is like, well, I recognize you still have seasons, but is, the, is there ever a good time for this to start? <laughs> uh, you know, it seems like you're still in a frozen tundra. Um, and again, with all of these movies, we get to something that horror or not that comes up in most of these, which is that despite the fact that there's something keeping people from leaving, the real tension comes from the fact that they can't escape each other. Yeah. You know, it, it, uh, 
I, I know we all uh, we all miss other people right now, <laughs> um, but uh, let's not forget that when we are around other people for an extended period of time, they tend to uh, bring out the worst in us, <laughs> at yeah. least according to these movies. Um, I do have uh, a feeling that once I can be with other people, I will immediately be like, oh boy, I miss the days of, the, of that quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, we've said this word so many times. So speaking of the word quarantine, there's a movie called Quarantine, right, which is a remake of a Spanish film called Wreck. I didn't see Wreck. I did see Quarantine, um, and I uh, thought it was fine. It's a found footage uh, mm-hmm. um, horror movie in which uh, uh, a news oh, it's like uh, a newswoman and her cameraman are following, like doing a ride along with the fire a team of firemen. And then they happen to be in an apartment building when some sort of outbreak happens and they end up yeah. quarantined inside the apartment building and then demons or zombies or something kill all of them. Um, so uh, that one, so another couple other horror movies, uh, House on Haunted Hill. I mean, I guess they can leave, but they've agreed yeah. not to. Um, one that also is very, like, surprisingly relevant to our current situation, Alien which is a movie yeah. about it's about a failed quarantine mm-hmm. you know ripley was right if we'd listened to ripley you know the dr fauci of the Nostromo <laughs> sure. of the Nostromo of the of the Nostromo, the, the uh uh wayland yutani corporation um none of this would have happened i mean it would have sucked for john hurt but uh it, w- it wouldn't right. have killed wouldn't have killed everybody yeah um, and i'd say but, uh it was gonna suck for john hurt either way Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a cold calculus there, but, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, so that's another one. And then, uh, a very recent movie about people who cannot leave each other's company is the lighthouse. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and I put that under horror cause I didn't know where else to put it. It has some overtly horrific elements to it like supernatural horror there's some hints of that but really it's about two people who are forced to spend months on end with each other or weeks on end i guess with each other and uh they both lose their minds yeah horror comes from the internal yeah and i definitely think the witch also uh works i mean these characters there it's this family that uh is staying in their in their cabin in the middle of the woods they could go elsewhere they could leave um but uh but the fact that it's like well any one like if any one of them wants to leave that means they're leaving behind their their family and they don't necessarily want to do that and as a family that's like okay we're just gonna be in this situation together uh and then i guess also there's the movie that i just saw a couple months ago at this point uh the lodge which once again deals with a weather situation and characters uh, stuck in a cabin and all of that um there are a couple that i wanted to mention that i actually haven't seen there's the movie buried in which yeah, uh, i've never seen that either yeah. i'm scared to watch it i don't think i could watch it <laughs> yeah i uh, think then, i would have a panic attack and then there's the film devil um oh, which i've heard right. good and bad things about um but yeah and you know, not all of these movies that we're talking about deal in claustrophobia. You know, some of them, like, that's, it's not a vibe that I get from uh, a movie like even The Shining. You know, I get it from Alien, certainly. And I get it from The Thing, but not something like The Shining. Whereas, like, Buried and Devil, it's very much about being stuck in a very small uh, place, either by yourself or with other people. But the, 
the limit, uh, the limitation of like movement is a big part of, of the fear there. Um, let's see, looking at my list here. Yeah, I don't know. We should probably be wrapping. I haven't, looked, yeah. Yeah. I haven't been keeping an eye on the time. We need to learn to do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the way we're recording these, we keep forgetting to look at the time. We should probably be wrapping up. But yeah, there are a couple of others. We didn't mention Panic Room. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was one I wanted to mention. We were talking about sci-fi horror, like Alien, a movie you and I, I think, are both uh, mildly fans of. But Europa Report sure. is yeah. another... Uh, sci-fi horror movie about people on a, on a spaceship. I mean, in a way, almost like any kind of spaceship related sci-fi yeah. is going to have this element. The, the movie moon uh, deals with that as well. Um, even something like Solaris, I think deals with that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I have some stragglers that I think could probably just be considered drama. Um, although I guess the movie, in its own way, I guess the movie Phone Booth uh, could be considered yeah. like a, a thriller, but uh, I don't know exactly, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of a phone booth as being, you're right, it, it fits, but I, yeah, I've seen the movie and I didn't, I don't know, for some reason it didn't seem right for the list. Yeah. Um, another, another couple that didn't seem quite, I don't know, I put these on as like, they aren't really, they don't fit the topic, but mm. they kind of in spirit do. And that's cast away and all is lost. I do have Both cast away like, on here. Yeah. They're not like confined. They're out in the elements, right. but they're still, it's they're 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 still unable to, to yeah. get beyond where, where they are or to get to other people. Yeah. I would definitely, I mean, yeah, I, I, I included cast away and I'm fine with saying like, Oh, well, it's an interesting variation uh, on this where it's not like there are any walls around you uh, because there don't need to be. The ocean is around you and you still have to try to make do. Um, so let's see here. Uh, okay. So the movie lock uh, with Tom okay. Hardy, where he is, again, this is a thing that he's volunteering to do. Uh, he is in his car the whole time driving from one place to another and having conversations with other characters, but only via Bluetooth. Uh, but he is in the car the whole time. The film is, is surprisingly watchable and, and finds ways to be visually interesting without being too clever, thankfully. Um, and uh, his performance is really great. Uh, so yeah, I definitely recommend Locke and that's definitely more of a drama. Um, Let's There's see. also the very bad movie Finder's Fee, uh, directed by <laughs> Jeff Probst. <laughs> Survivor's uh, Jeff Probst, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, that takes place all in one room. Um, here, uh, here's one. There's nothing, as far as I know, there's nothing actually keeping the people in the house, but they don't leave in Ex Machina. They, they don't yeah, leave I guess, the, the compound the entire time. Um, yeah. Except they, the very beginning, the very end. Right. And, and that's the thing is like, they, they don't really have reason to leave until the moment where they realize they can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, so I've got, I've got a few, I've got, um, the yeah, I've got a club. few of the stragglers and then just see, okay. I was going to save two cause there were two that I couldn't believe we hadn't gotten to yet. Okay. And the breakfast club is one of them. It seems like one of the most obvious ones. Yeah. Um, I'm not the hugest John Hughes fan. I think outside of, I really like Ferris Bueller, but, uh, like, I don't think a lot of his stuff I've failed to connect with. Yeah. I like uh, planes, trains and automobiles, but that's, sure. that's the one yeah, that's, that's like least good, yeah. like his usual thing. Yeah, because it's not about teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, The Breakfast Club seems a little bit too 
uh, schematic and deterministic for me, the way that it sort of like so neatly fits everyone into their, into yeah. their categories. Um, it feels like, uh, it feels too predetermined. I don't, I don't love it, but it is full of, it has a lot of great moments in it, a lot of great lines. Yeah. Um, so good performances. I love, um, uh, uh, I love Anthony Michael Hall as the, the nerd, mm-hmm. um, who, uh, has a fake ID so he can vote. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that, I always thought that was really funny. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I tend to, as time has gone on, I, I look at the breakfast club as not w- it's hard to explain. This is not what teenagers are, but it's how they think of themselves and how they think of other people. Like this is a representation of the way teenagers, maybe more at the time than these days, but the way they approach the world where everybody can be maybe summed up in, in a single word, like a nerd, a brain, whatever. Um, and in a, although the film itself is all about what these characters have in common as opposed to how they perceive themselves, but at the same time, the film also perceives them that way. And, you know, yeah. it's it, the idea that, uh, that five, five people who are, who are also different uh, would all wind up in this situation. It's almost like a, it's almost like a fable or something like that. Yeah. And the, well, the other thing that's always rubbed me the wrong way about the breakfast club is, is that the character with whom I most identify is Ali Sheedy's character mm-hmm. and something you see way too often in movies like this in where, in which the weirdo outcasts arc is to no longer be the weirdo, like to become sure. more normal. And that always bothers me. Um, although I've seen a great argument uh, made that the um, Robert Rodriguez, the faculty, which takes a similar arc in the end mm-hmm. is actually a comment on that sure. trope. Um it's been a long time since I've seen, I do remember that the very, the very ending of the faculty comes kind of out of nowhere where suddenly all these weirdos are like popular kids at the end. Yeah. Um, and it's, it is so abrupt that it does seem like maybe Robert Rodriguez is trying to say something uh, about that, that trope. Yeah. I'm not sure what, and what exactly. It's one of the things that I, it's one of the things that I, speaking of being off topic, it's one of the things I don't like about Napoleon dynamite is that he does his little dance there at the end and everybody like cheers for him and it's almost like, oh my gosh, this weirdo and outcast that we, the filmmakers ourselves, uh, kind of hate. Um, he's finally, you know, by just doing his own thing, he's finally accepted. And part of me is like, well, I appreciate the message about like being yourself, but at the same time, sometimes being yourself means you're not going to be accepted, and yeah. that's okay. You know? Yeah, but, that's a good uh, point. Yeah, I don't love Napoleon Dynamite, but there are so many lines in the movie that I do love. Yeah, come get um, some ham like, is, is one that uh, I, I laugh at. Eat your food, Tina. Um, <laughs> but no, the one that I always laugh at is when someone asked Napoleon how his day was. He says, worst day of my life. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, oh, his his performance, I, I find, no, I take no issue with. Um, okay, so... I think, I think I used to say, worst day of my life, what do you think? And then that got replaced by, not great, Bob. <laughs> from, sure, from absolutely. Uh, and then the other one that is one of the first ones that I thought of. Um, although if I remember our Patreon episode on the films of 1962, I don't think you'd seen it. And that's Louise Bunuel's the exterminating angel. No, I haven't. Although I guess I, you know what I have seen discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, which is, which kind of fits. 
Yeah, it, ha- it definitely has some of that. Yeah. But The Exterminating Angel is a movie about a bunch of rich people. It's like after the yeah. opera or something, they all come over for a party at someone's house. And then as the night wears on, they kind of all realize that no one's leaving this one room. Yeah. And there's never any explanation as to what's keeping them there. They just, uh, it's basically just in a Louis Benwell type of fashion, watching a bunch of um rich people become depraved animals uh, yeah. <laughs> over the course of the movie, which is something I think he enjoyed. See, see discreet John of the bourgeoisie. Uh, okay. So I have a couple, I have one that's a question for you. Okay. Cause as I was looking up, you know, movies that take place in one location, I made my list and then I was like, okay, well let's see if there are any that I'm forgetting. I'm sure there are, there are tons that the listeners will let us know about, but um, one that came up speaking of action movies is die hard. I mean, it's, okay. it's a building. Yeah. No, that's true. You know, yes. I think because I think that's the problem when you have something like a Dawn of the Dead or Die Hard where, yes, it's one location, but that location can be so varied. You've got the roof, you've got offices, you've got uh, stairwells, you've got elevator shafts, you've got all of this stuff. You got a whole damn waterfall. You've got, is, I assume that's a line. No, I'm just saying it's like a oh. water feed. There's a big waterfall. I don't know if it's a waterfall, but there's like a pond water right. feature where fountain. everybody is, right? Yeah. Like in yeah. The, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there's something about the way you say, you got a whole damn waterfall. That sounded like, so- like something a character would say. Anyway. <laughs> well, um, I'm a character. I've been described as a character. Uh, boy, yes, that's correct. Um, <laughs> and sometimes a supporting character, but not a supportive character. That's the way I see it. Um, but yeah, and so I feel like, uh, you know, one, one element, the reason that that didn't come to mind for me or for you, I would argue, is that like there has to be an element when talking about these, there has to be an element of monotony, I think. And even, even the, in the midst of something that's tense, the monotony could be, it could be routine or it could be seeing the same thing over and over. And that causes tension and resentment whereas die hard it doesn't feel like you're seeing the same thing over and over you know yeah and you get a lot of breaks with reginald Vaughn johnson and yeah. the um uh paul gleason and then uh who's is it um william atherton is the yeah, the yeah. blowhard uh newsman yeah um, um so, so yeah you then, do get some breaks so i think that oh go ahead oh no i, I was moving on go ahead but then I was going to move on too to uh, a movie that I, I think, if I remember correctly, you and I both like. I don't think it has that great a reputation, uh, but we both like it enough that I'm surprised it didn't come up earlier. And that's James Mangold's Identity, which is also oh, a movie yeah. that, like they're all stuck at a motel because there's a torrential downpour yes. outside. Um, uh, I like James Mangold. I tend to like James Mangold's movies a lot, um, and that one is no exception. Even though I remember it not being well received when it came out. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm reluctant to use the term, but I think James Mangold is a very, very reliable journeyman. And that is not a slight. He is able, he's produced some really great movies. Um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't immediately know that the same guy directed Identity that directed Walk the Line or, or Copland or Copland or Ford or Night and versus Day. Ferrari. Yeah, like... And that, that's how you know that he's a journeyman and there's nothing wrong with that. It just means that it's about the movies yeah. and that's okay. Uh, now, 
I'll say this, the, the number one movie on my list, the very first one I thought of. And we still haven't gotten to it? Right. I, I figured after, after a certain point, I figured I'd save it. Oh, this is exciting. Well, we can say that I'm done, so we can save it for okay. last. It's uh, 12 Angry Men. Oh, yeah, that is on my list. How did I forget we, yeah. Um, of course. But yeah, <laughs> that was one of the first ones I thought of, too. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, I forget what you were talking about, but like the, the hottest day of the year and yeah. being stuck with a bunch of people that, uh, that you, that in this case, that you would absolutely not have, uh, have conversed with otherwise. Um, and that, that also tends to be certainly with zombie movies and then movies, I didn't mention uh, bad times at the El Royale, but that's a pretty good one too, that kind of fits this. Um, but <clears throat> the idea that within these movies, unless it's someone completely by themselves, the idea is that you get a cross section of humanity and that like, whether it be breakfast club or, you know, night of the living dead or whatever, just these people from different walks of life all coming together for this one situation, either by choice or not. And in the case of 12 angry men, it's, it's jury duty. So like it's people, some, some of them are, are older, some are younger, some are better off, some are not. Um, but they all come together for this case and now they are stuck in this place. They can't go anywhere. And so it's a very, it's an interesting version of this where they are, they have to be there because of legal obligation. And if they just, and the only, and the best way to get out is to do what they're supposed to do. And the faster they do it, the faster they get out. And that seems to be the motivation for some of them. And then the film and then our main character, his goal is, no, we're going to stay. Um, mm -hmm. But not for the same reasons as Polly Shore in Jury Duty. Uh, this is because the, the main character, by, uh, played by Henry Fonda, uh, takes this seriously. And for him, being stuck is, is, not, the, is not the end of the world, but instead something that he, he uh, feels a, a duty to to fulfill. So, uh, yeah, I, but, but the fact, I do think that, you know, on one hand you have movies that emphasize the cold. Uh, but to me, the idea of just being like really just crammed in with people and being extremely hot and sweaty, uh, is, is so much worse. Uh, ugh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you're talking obviously about the original *Twelve Angry Men*. It was also remade uh, mm -hmm. by William Friedkin in 1997. Yeah, and I was looking that up. And uh, do you, without looking, okay, do you remember who played the judge in the remake of *Twelve Angry Men*? Mary McDonnell. Mary McDonnell. Yes. Uh, there are no women in the original *Twelve Angry Men*. Correct. Um, the uh, notable character actor. Um, Rudy Bond played the judge mm -hmm. in 12 Angry Men, but I'm trying to think, do you even see his face or is it just a voice? No, you've seen him. I've seen it. You, you see him see because it. he's like this the whole time. Like he just, he, he just exudes boredom. Um, right. and which is okay. something I always found interesting. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, just, I had forgotten there was a woman in the 1997, 12 Angry Men. Well, and what's interesting is that William Friedkin directs the film in a very straightforward way, as opposed to the way, Sidney Lumet directs the original where he, the, he really uses the camera to create a sense of claustrophobia. Yeah. Um, whereas Friedkin treats it, it's, it's a perfectly fine adaptation, but from a stylistic standpoint, it doesn't hold a candle to the original, which surprises me yeah. given that it's Friedkin. 
it's William Freakin, and it's also, but it also is a, it's a showcase for character actors. Yeah, uh, maybe even more so um, than the original, and that it, maybe that's why William Friedkin is taking a step back and, yeah. and keeping the the camera static so he can showcase that uh, every juror is, uh, yeah, a character actor you've heard of. Yeah, a beloved uh, character actor. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so hopefully uh, people can, we've given people movies to watch as they are quarantined and uh, they can watch and get very stressed or scared or all kinds of things. Well, if you're looking for things to watch while you're quarantined, you can go to battleshipretention.com because our friend Alex uh, has been making all sorts of fun uh, video, what don't we call it, video essays, sometimes yeah. just video compilations uh, set to music that are, that are sort of little... Uh, tone pieces or whatever they're uh they're a lot of fun that's a battleship retention.com he also alex also wrote uh, a thing about uh all the diff- many different portrayals portrayals of vincent van gogh uh let's see the our podcast the, the podcast in our fleet uh i do movies badly is back after a long hiatus uh jim is married now he took a hiatus to mm-hmm. go get married um and he's back with a new episode starring me uh in which i uh, force him to watch uh, some Soviet silent cinema. Um, what else? Yeah, our, our our website is like all Alex now. He's just like cranking stuff out under quarantine. It's all Alex, about all Ghost the time. Dog. Uh, but I did uh, post a review of the recent Criterion Blu-ray release of The Cranes Are Flying because I've just been in that Russian mood lately. Mm-hmm. And uh, join the Patreon if you want. If you're looking for more content. Um, uh, under under quarantine patreon.com slash battleship pretension this this week we talked about our favorite movies of 2002 so um that's all at battleship pretension.com you can email us at david at battleship pretension.com or tyler at battleship pretension.com which is where you send your top 15 uh movies of the 2010s you can follow us on twitter at davy pretension or at tyler pretension tyler do you have anything else to plug uh Let's see. Right now, um, over at More Than One Lesson, uh, you can hear an interview with uh, Reed Lackey, who w- uh, was a former co-host uh, of mine. He wrote a, a movie that is now available uh, on Amazon and various other places called 40, The Temptation of Christ. Uh, and I remember he, I remember him, I haven't watched it yet. I was going to watch it in the next couple of days. Uh, but I remember back when he was writing it and he told me about it and it sounded really great. And uh, by all accounts, it is very good. So, uh, so uh, you can hear about him. You can hear him talk about uh, the film uh, at more than one lesson.com. And then as always check out uh, real redemption on faith life TV. That's all I'll say about that. All right. Well, uh, that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 